Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Little Prince. Le Petit Prince was written by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry and published in 1943. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2015, was directed by Mark Osborne. You may have noticed that the voice reading my usual part uh, was very different. Yes. Um, This is a patron-requested episode, and the patron who requested it, uh, Katie, actually recorded her voice saying it for us because we don't speak French. (laughs) (laughs) And she is a French teacher. Yes. And has been for uh, several years now, and so that was part of the reason, I think, why she uh, requested this episode. And we're so happy to get to do it. And uh, because neither of us took French class. No. uh, In high school. So we never got to, you know, experience this story. Uh, This was all new to us. And so we were excited to like finally catch up with where everyone else is at. Yeah. Uh, Thank you to Katie for requesting this episode and also for recording your voice. We really appreciate it. We have butchered so many names in the past. (laughs) Um, And we kind of saw this as an opportunity to be like, oh, we should have Katie read it. For us. Yeah. So it sounds a little more authentic. Um, And I'm sure we'll have to mention the author's name at some point later on in this episode, and it'll be terrible. You mean (laughs) Saint-Exupéry? I'll let you do it. I think that was pretty good. (laughs) If you ask me, that was pretty solid. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is... It's funny because I always associated this as like, oh, the book everyone in French class read. Yeah. Um, But like when we actually started like researching for the episode and kind of digging into it, I was like, holy shit, like this is I mean, I knew it was a famous book, but like it's actually the most translated book next to the Bible in the world ever, uh, which is quite a claim, quite a feat. uh, And so, you know, it's it's got a lot of um, reputation. Yeah. Yeah. And. This is one of those classic children's books that just has, you know, I think appealed to both children and adults when it came out and still appeals to um, readers today, which I think a lot of older books feel kind of dated sometimes and can just lose their relevance really quickly. But I think the the topics and the themes that this book touches on are still relevant today and are like thought provoking enough that people are, you know, keep returning to it. And I think it's a great, I mean, it's awesome for French class because it's more accessible, probably a more achievable text for them to try to read in French. We did not read this in the original French. Um, We did not. We read um, an English translation. But yeah, we're really excited to do it. We hope everyone is also excited to either revisit this story or maybe check it out for the first time. But we are going to have to, talk about it in an interesting way. Yeah, so the movie, because it's such a short book and, you know, wouldn't really on its own be enough for like a feature-length film, the movie is kind of like this interesting amalgamation of things. Yeah. It is, within it, is basically the entirety or almost the entirety of The Little Prince story. Yeah. But it's in the framework of another story of a little girl uh, who meets an older man and uh, she is reading his stories. He's a character from The Little Prince. And so yeah. it's kind of like a story within a story. Yeah. Um, which can make it challenging to talk about. So I think what we've decided on is we are going to talk about pretty much the movie 
the first half of the movie yeah pretty much like straight through and then once we get to about the halfway point we're gonna make a uh divergence and then talk about the book in its entirety yeah uh just kind of tackle you know all of that and then we will get back to the second half of the movie i think that's what makes the most sense to us yes it's a little different than what we're used to mm-hmm. um but we hope it makes sense to you and we're excited to dive in yeah So the movie actually begins in the exact same way that the book does. And we get this narration from someone we don't know talking about when they were younger, uh, they took up drawing. And their first drawing was a boa constrictor that had swallowed an elephant. Yes. But unfortunately... Uh, whenever this the narrator showed anyone, mostly adults, they they thought it was a hat. Mm-hmm. So the narrator had to draw a second drawing that showed what was actually inside the boa constrictor. Um, but they just didn't really help his cause, um, and he was discouraged from an artistic career. And this is kind of interesting. We did a little background research on the author, and this could be something that's like pulled from his life. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I think, debate and speculation about what aspects are pulled from his life. There's a lot of characters that seem to mirror real life people. Uh, there's been speculation about who, if the little prince was inspired by anyone directly. Yeah. Um, this, from what I've read and understand, seems pretty closely tied to his real life. Yeah. Um, having an artistic side and kind of being discouraged from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but. We'll probably get more into those, like, connections as we discuss the book. Yeah, this, like, kind of early on, though, brings up the theme that is really present in this story, in both the book and the movie, of grown-ups not understanding children. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, often, like, discouraging them and kind of, like, tamping down their, like, creative spirit. Yeah, and this idea of children specifically, I think, having this appreciation for almost, like, the imaginative aspect of things yeah. like understanding what's beyond what you can see yes. in this case, like the elephant within the boa constrictor. Yes. And it's funny too, because like even when this person uh, drew kind of the cross section that showed the elephant, the parents were still like, Oh, like uninterested then. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I think this is another, it's a really interesting, unique start to both the book and the film Yeah. that, like you said, I think really lightly touches on kind of a lot of different qualities going on in this story. Mm-hmm. So I think I really appreciated the movie retaining this opening that the book had. I agree. And then we get introduced to the main characters of the movie who no one has names in the movie. So it's just the girl, her mom, the old man slash the aviator. Um, So this girl and her mom are waiting to be interviewed for this like prestigious school. And it's very um, depressing is a word (laughs) I would use. (laughs) Yeah, it's just everything is just super gray and kind of devoid of life. Yeah, there's like really like propaganda posters on the wall. It seems like very like communist or something. Yeah, or just like... I don't know, very like corporate also. Yeah, Yeah, it's like the school to corporate pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so, uh, but it's it's this interesting tone. It's like, I think it's supposed to kind of be reality. Because like in a world that goes like, or in, I'm sorry, in a story that goes to other worlds. Yeah. I think this is kind of supposed to be our baseline, but Mm -hmm. it's still like this heightened, exaggerated, kind of uh, almost like oppressive adult world yeah definitely and the young girl has been like 
you know, rehearsing for this interview that she's going to have with this panel to get into this like fancy school. And she blows the interview (laughs) um, because they ask her a question that she wasn't expecting. And right away, we kind of figure out what the dynamic is between the girl and her mom, because the mom is immediately like, "Okay, we move on to plan B now. We have to get you into this school. And you're like, wow, that seems very organized. Like, I wonder what the links that this mom will go to to get her like child into this yes. school. She's like, here's the plane. We're going to move. We're going to find a new house. We're going to get it. It'll be within the school district. We'll be moved in there before summer even begins. And it's kind of this quick, like, cut succession of um, just showing the plan being enacted. Yes. Uh, so really, this is a good introduction to the mom and uh, the daughter, the little girl as well, because mm-hmm. she they're both very much kind of the same mindset yeah. on this kind of thing, like having a plan, like acting on it, like really thinking two steps ahead. Yeah, they both seem to be on the same page. And almost as soon as they move into their new place, um, the mom unveils her master uh, creation, which is this very detailed chart graph interactive 3D model of the little girl's life for like her entire life and hours of the day counted out and accounted for <laughs> and have tasks assigned to her. We've got charts. We've got folders. We've got magnets. We've got timetables. Yes. We've got accordion folding panels. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> it really it like fills you with like a sense of anxiety when you see it. Oh, absolutely. But this really does just kind of play into like and, and the house is similarly like very drab and very kind of like lifeless, just kind yeah. of this like modern aesthetic. It reminds me a lot of um, The Incredibles. Yeah, weirdly, it's like that same like 50s vibe, but also like modern. And like very desaturated. Yeah. Which makes sense because both stories kind of have this um, progression of like characters kind of like not either like fulfilling to their full potential yeah or um kind of being unhappy with their lives and then experiencing like like life. a vibrant world yeah and like this vibrant so like the drabness is contrasted later by like more life and energy and like literal vibrant saturated colors yeah so it makes sense i get where they're coming from mm-hmm. with it it does kind of seem to be like a almost like a pixar-y thing I feel like I've seen this before in other Pixar films. Yeah, I think Pixar, uh, The Incredibles stands out the most to me, but I think uh, Up also does it a bit. Yeah. You know, kind of just that like sad kind of aesthetic before like the adventure begins. Yeah, like the sad office vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Sad (laughs) office. No one does a sad office vibe like Pixar. Sad (laughs) cubicle. Has a cubicle ever been depicted as like a fun, lively place? No. And their house is kind of like a sad cubicle. It is. It's just all (laughs) square and blocky and sad. Uh, But so uh, the the girl has her plan for the summer. She's going to like study and get ready for the school year. The mom has to work. So she uh, is leaving for work and leaving the girl by herself. I mean, she's not really by herself because she has her life plan model watching her the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It will tell her what to do on the hour, every hour for the rest of her life. Yes. Uh, We do get one of my favorite little moments. It's one of, I think, the funniest where the mom's leaving and she's kind of like going on and on about like, her job and uh, like the people she works with and, and the daughter's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, like patiently listening. <laughs> yeah. And the mom mentions like a coworker by name. Logan. She's like, Logan, uh, <laughs> Logan didn't get me the paperwork until like late last night. And the daughter's just like, uh, Logan. 
it's just such a funny moment like but it's story driven too like yeah. clearly the girl has like heard this all before she's like on the mom's side yeah and it shows that they're very much on the same page at this moment yeah um which is contrasted later and while the girl is left at home alone to do her studying reality crashes in literally a giant <laughs> propeller propels itself through <laughs> the garden wall and through the house wall and almost um, eviscerates this young girl. <laughs> yeah, it's um a very violent crash. Like, I mean, it's a spinning propeller blade yeah. that just goes straight through her home. Yes. And it comes from the next door neighbor, which at this point has been established. It's kind of this like crappy house that's like kind of you know clearly not in the neighborhood aesthetic clearly the neighborhood um (laughs) association oh yeah it's called the homeowners the homeowners association doesn't know what to do with this man yeah um but the propeller came from his house Mm -hmm. almost kills the girl yeah and you know, she calls the police. It's a whole thing. We see the police officer like go to this man's house and kind of confront him. And he's this older guy. His house is very ramshackle. And he's kind of like, did you start the plane again? Yeah. And the old <laughs> and he's man. Like, oh, no, oh, I might have done it. Oh, I done did it again. Here's some pennies. He's very he's very nonchalant about like almost having potentially killed someone. Yeah. Like he goes inside the house and retrieves the propeller blade and then kind of like covers up the hole in the fence. Yeah. And then later he's like, oh, I'll just pay you in pennies. That's quirky, (laughs) right? Everyone loves pennies. And I'm just like, like this. I'm not I don't know what to think about this. This old man yet. Uh, But so the girl gets a jar of pennies. And when the mom comes home, She's the girl explains like what happened and she's like, I already called the cops. I already called the insurance company. I already took photos from inside and outside of the house. <laughs> like she is on that shit. She's so on it. <laughs> Later on, um, the old man aviator next door ends up um, throwing a paper airplane through this girl's window while she's studying. And she opens up the paper airplane and it's actually one of the pages from the Little Prince story. And so she this is kind of her introduction to this part of the story. And she reads a little bit about it. But at first, she's not interested at all and kind of dismisses it. Yeah, she just kind of tosses it in the garbage, ignores the old man who's like yelling at her through the window. Yeah. And it's not until later when she is pouring the pennies out and finds these like little figurines. Yeah. That she's like kind of suddenly like kind of taken by the kind of whimsical quality of like yeah the page and like these figurines like which fig which uh includes like the little prince I think the fox yes some elements like that so then she goes back up and gets the page out and actually reads it mm-hmm. and this is where we shift into the actual story of the little prince yes. And also, we shift into a new style of animation. Yeah, it's really cool how they separate this. But every time we get the Little Prince story within this movie, it shifts to um, a more, uh, what is it, stop motion animation? Yeah, So yeah. It's, it's, and I wasn't sure if this was like literal stop motion or if it was just made to look like it. Yeah. But it is. Uh, I watched behind the scenes stuff. It was authentic stop motion. And not only that, but they really created this unique aesthetic for it of like crafted paper. Yeah, it has a paper like quality to it. It's hard to like put your finger on though. Yeah, I mean, everything just has and they like colored the characters with watercolor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so 
gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's cool because like it retains the like uh soul of the drawings in the book. It looks exactly like the drawings. In yeah. The book. It's uncanny actually. It is. But the cool <laughs> thing about it, I think, and the thing that works so well is that I think because the characters are super simple. The illustrations in the book, super simple. Yeah. Um, and I think they're able to do that with the stop motion because of the paper texture. Like, I think it gives like a layer of depth and interest to the character designs and models that like inherently are very simple, Mm. but you see that like level of texture and detail to them. And it like really like draws you in and and feels very tactile. Yeah. It prevents it from looking like too simple or kind of too, uh, juvenile or you know what I mean? How do, what did they use for this? Um, like 3D figures that they made? Yeah, they actually made the real, like, figures. Then they have, like, metallic, like, metal armatures so uh-huh. they can, like, adjust and reposition. But I do think it was, like, in a paper coating. Wow. And I think this began with Leica Studio, but they actually have these, like, mouths that they replace, like, mm-hmm. vowel for vowel as the characters speak. Oh, my God. So they have, like, for each character, like... 30 like different lower halves of the face oh my god uh like 3d printed for like the different vowels then they can just replace them as they speak wow it's really interesting that's so much work (laughs) i know stop motion is so much work and it's so beautiful it is but part of me is also like is it worth it like (laughs) i can't say but i mean i don't know if i would do it Yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful. And this is definitely my favorite part of the movie is getting to see this animation. I think, though, it can be a little weird going back and forth between, like, the regular 3D animation and then the stop motion. It is. And for me, like, the 3D animation is perfectly fine. Yeah. I don't think it's quite on the level of, like, a Pixar movie. It feels a little dated, Mm -hmm. both in terms of, like, the textures and the character designs. Like, it's fine. But when you compare it to this gorgeous uh, stop motion animated um, the story segments, when you go back to the 3D design, it's kind of like, oh, okay, like this is fine. Yeah. And I think it works well enough because like at, at least at the beginning, because like you are returning to usually a more sterile world. Yeah. So like it does that transition of like it being more magical works well Mm -hmm. but I think later it falls apart a little bit for me yeah so the little girl is interested now in what this story is about and in the old man so she goes next door she sneaks through the propeller hole um, (laughs) in the garden wall and ends up meeting the aviator old man I don't know. What should we call him? The old man? The aviator? Uh, either the aviator. <laughs> old aviator. The old aviator. Um, <laughs> Split the difference. And like sees his old plane. He shows her like his lush and like very vibrant and bird filled backyard. And she just kind of gets to like see this world. Um, he gives her a fox. It's very cute. Toy. It's such a cute little stuffed <laughs> fox character. And they kind of like um begin this like relationship where she kind of is like going over to his house during the days when her mom is gone yeah he's reading her more of the story but Mm -hmm. also like they're hanging out um and you know he's kind of clearly giving her like a freedom that she's not getting in her normal life yeah a sense of creativity and adventure and you know being a kid basically yeah um but I'm very, I'm like torn and like conflicted about this aspect of the story 
because I think, like, it's a children's movie, and you know nothing bad is going to happen. You know he is just, like, a kind old man. But I think, like, at least for myself, like, this situation raises so many red flags, like, in a real-life situation. Yeah. Where, I mean, specifically, like, he initiates contact with... And this is, like, propeller murder... Like, aside, aside. <laughs> uh, like he initiates first contact with her, like throwing her the note. And then when she starts coming over to his house, he's like, yeah, just come on over and like, don't worry about telling your mom or anything. Like, it's totally chill. Yeah. And uh, and just like, I don't know. You're just like, oh, this isn't like a good thing. Yeah, I think I I, I feel the same conflict. Like, I want to just be like, oh, it's like sweet. But the whole like. It being a secret from her mom. Yeah. Um, aspect is very just I I just don't like it. No. And, and, the, and the old man is portrayed in a very um juvenile kind of way throughout the movie. Yeah. Which, he doesn't seem like a responsible person. No. And I think it's supposed to be like charming, but really it's just kind of like more unsettling than anything that like he's like, I can be friends with like this 12-year-old girl, and that's totally fine. And Yeah, I mean, I think if the movie had at least had some acknowledgement, like the mom knew she was friends with him or was going over there maybe, like, just a little bit. And, and she could have still been mad about, like, her going over there all the time and not yeah. doing any studying. But just the fact that her mom knows nothing about all this, like, really kind of just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Yeah, and it's also, like... Because, I mean, the other... I'm going to just keep name-dropping Pixar movies. Like, another Pixar movie it makes me think of is Up. where Because yeah. that's also an old man and a young kid, like, together in kind of this adventure. Yeah. But in that story, the dynamic is that the old man doesn't like the kid, and the kid just, like, ends up with him. Yeah. And then from there, like, they're stuck together, but then they develop this relationship. Yeah. And, like, that feels more, at least, comfortable. Mm-hmm. That, like, the old man doesn't even want him there at first yeah um or like if the old aviator like needed her help fixing up something yeah you know what i mean like fixing his plane because like then she would at least serve a function like the fact that like the old man is like i just want to be your friend yeah is like no (laughs) it's not great i think they could have done better and i think they should have thought about it i mean it's 2015 like (laughs) come on i yeah and For me, like, this kind of culminated in the scene where the old man, the girl was upset for some reason, I can't quite remember why, but the old man is like, hey, let's go get pancakes. Yeah. Let's get in my really beater, crappy car, and I'll just, like, drive you somewhere to get pancakes. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, cool. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, and to top it off, like, the car is, like, very dysfunctional, and he's a really bad driver. Yeah. So again, with the safety thing, like, it doesn't feel that she's physically safe there with him. He, like, runs a stop sign or a red light at one point. Yeah, they almost get hit by another car. And yeah. I, I don't know. The quirkiness did not, like, make up for this aspect or this dynamic. So yeah. we just felt, I think it was important to address that quality, at least how we felt. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, the fault of the, like, whoever wrote the script. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, if you watch this and, like, did not feel this way at all like I would totally get it yeah like maybe yeah. we're overly jaded or <laughs> I don't know but uh that's just how we felt I think yeah and of course when they're driving to get pancakes in his terrible car they get pulled over 
And this is where the mom finds out what's been going on. And she and her daughter have this big fight and confrontation about it. Yeah. And this is kind of like them coming to a head finally, because the little girl has clearly... As the story's gone on, she's become less and less committed to her life plan. Yeah. Seems to kind of be questioning, like, this entire strategy of her going to school and everything. And at one point, you know, she says, like, that's your plan for my life. That's not my plan. Yeah. And we find out more information, too, about why the mom is like this. Because, I mean, you have to wonder what would make someone this way. Um, Or at least I did. And we do find some answers here where the little girl says, you're just like him. Yeah. And this kind of answers the question of like, what's the deal with the dad? Like, is he dead? Mm -hmm. Has he just left the family? And you do get at some point to uh, she gets a snow globe in the mail for her birthday and she puts it on a shelf next to all the other snow globes. Yeah. Uh, so clearly it's just kind of this like really empty gesture of like a birthday gift from like an absent father. Yeah, from a dad who's just not involved. And she says too, like, are you going to disappear like he did? Mm-hmm. Um, or how long before you disappear like he did? And the mom also kind of coming back with like, well, you know why I have to work so hard? And just tying this into the fact that like, you know, Either this, you know, their dad, like, abandoned them or just, you know, I mean, I was trying to think of another. (laughs) He abandoned them. Yeah, he he did. (laughs) And, like, being a single mother, like, even if you're, you know, receiving a check in the mail from the father, like, it's still extremely difficult. And, like, she obviously has to, like, have, like, a very tight schedule to, like do her job and raise her kid and like yeah. get her kid into a good school and like and she wants the best for her and it and when you feel that things are out of control or that bad things have happened you want to make sure that that doesn't happen again and the easiest way for some people to do that is to you know get super uptight or like you know super schedule things out because it makes you feel like you are in control and that you do you are able to stop bad things from happening which of course is just an illusion but it's clear that that's the way the mom has been coping with this yeah and how the daughter has been as well um up until this point yeah um so she's told she can't see the old aviator anymore and i think this is the point where we will uh transition into talking about the book because at this point in the movie we've gotten i think like the majority of this the tale of the little prince at this point Mm -hmm. and we've also i think established at least that like the old man is the aviator from the book yes it's like his story Mm -hmm. so uh let's talk about the book so first thing about the book is that it's told um from a first person narrative and it's either the author we don't know or just the unnamed uh, narrator yeah called the aviator i guess who is talking about an experience he had six years ago when his plane crashed in the desert. And adding to the mystery of like, is this the author's experience? Is it not? Is the fact that the author also crashed his plane in the desert probably like six-ish years before he wrote the book as well. Yeah, the uh, the author was a um, an aviator. Like, it, it was a big part of his life flying planes. He flew... Uh, mail like over the Sahara Desert yeah um and to like different outposts and stuff and that's how he ended up crashing his plane he flew in South America for a while where he met his wife 
Um, so like, and he, I, I heard he was like a very distracted flyer. Like he would read and like write stuff down while he was flying (laughs) and like, which probably explains why he had like multiple crashes. I mean, also planes at that time were not super safe. No. So there's that as well. But yeah, he and another person who was his navigator, um, they crashed in the desert and they both survived the crash but they had no water. They had like wine, <laughs> which I wonder, actually dehydrates you. Yeah, so I wonder why they crashed. <laughs> but yeah, so they had to walk on foot, I believe, to um, to find help. Yeah. Whereas in uh, the story, the uh, pilot is trying to fix his plane. Yes. And it's during this time when he meets when when a mysterious young child shows up in the desert, and yes. the first thing the child says is, "Draw me a sheep." Yes. He wants a sheep, um, and the man is, like, very confused at first, but is finally like, all right, all right, I'll draw you sheep. And this is, like, such a cute and funny exchange because the sheep are all not right for the little prince. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the aviator solves the problem by just drawing a crate and being like, your sheep's inside. <laughs> and the kid's like, yes, this is perfect. <laughs> and this very much, like, mirrors the beginning of the story when the author or narrator is talking about drawing the boa constrictor with the elephant inside. Yes. The thing that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the sheep being in a crate. And he, he's very, like, confused by the arrival of this child. Yeah. And he, but he pretty much just accepts it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's not questioning it too much. But the little prince talks to the aviator about where he comes from because he's actually not from Earth. He's from an asteroid called uh, B-62. Um, B612. B6, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was or. like, that's that's not right. <laughs> um, and it's a very small, like, little planet. He can walk around it pretty easily. I believe there are three volcanoes on it. One is one is inactive. Yes. But he still cleans it out. Yes. And he kind of is telling the uh, aviator, like, about his life. Yeah. Like, at first, he's kind of, like, withdrawn, like, doesn't answer any questions, only asks questions. But then he begins to tell uh, the aviator about his planet, his tiny little planet that he takes care of. And besides the volcanoes that he's responsible for, he also um, has to make sure that uh, there are no baobabs yes. growing on his planet. <laughs> and it's interesting because he wants to encourage other plants that grow on his planet but not baobabs. And it's really hard to tell which are which until they get a little older. Um, So he's always on the lookout for them. And baobabs are these huge trees that could eventually take over his tiny planet. So he has to be ever watchful and vigilant because um, if he's not careful, they will destroy his home. Yeah. So he kind of has this like odd responsibility that's like very important for him. Yeah. And... Around this time in the story, he talks about one plant that began growing that he wasn't sure about at first, but ended up being a rose. Mm -hmm. And not just any rose, but a talking rose. Yes. Uh, A rose who he quickly fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And he and the rose, I mean, we don't get a lot about their relationship here at the beginning, but we do find out that the rose is pretty proud of herself for being a rose. And the (laughs) prince is like, I mean, I like that you're a rose also. So... It's interesting, like, she's described as vain, as um, very conceited slash self-absorbed. Yeah, kind of, like, lying about 
herself and like at one point she's like almost lying about having been other places yeah but then is like quickly caught in the lie of like oh i've literally never been anywhere else yeah uh and so their dynamic is very interesting we don't get a lot about it necessarily but also it's kind of like the main (laughs) driving force of the whole story yeah so it's very odd and it's you know the little prince does love the rose but also i think can tell that like their life together isn't super great and that yeah. like maybe he should peace out. Yeah. And that like they're kind of making each other miserable. Yeah. Um, so he does. He does peace out. He's like, bye. I'm gonna just get a bunch of birds and fly away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering if this is supposed to represent like hurt feelings or some reason that, you know, a relationship might have like a rupture. Yeah, and uh, there's been plenty of speculation over the years that the uh, rose is meant to symbolize uh, the author's real-life wife, uh, Consuelo, Mm -hmm. who was a very significant and interesting figure, and, like, especially in terms of, like, the author's life, because they... um, they kind of had like a, a a good relationship, but also like a volatile one. Mm. And apparently like it was like an open relationship, but also that like got a lot of hurt feelings from like either side. Was it open in the sense that both of them agreed that it was open or was it open in the way that like they I've, both just cheated on each other? <laughs> I've heard both. <laughs> I've heard it like ever. I've heard like, oh, it was mutually open. I've heard like she was just cheating on him. I heard they were just cheating on each other. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so it was like kind of very vague mm-hmm. in that regard. But there are accounts of uh, Consuelo being a little like vain, a little self-obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, their relationship did go on for like his entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And I am always suspect of men who paint women as like the problem in the relationship. And I'm like, mm. yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. And I, I watched a uh, there's a documentary that I uh, will definitely recommend. It's called invisible essence Mm -hmm. i believe uh it's on netflix and it's a documentary just about the book wow and it's about like its legacy its history like people it's really cool it starts off with like a child who's like either blind or becoming blind Mm -hmm. uh learning to read it in braille oh cool yeah and like they kind of like keep returning to that kid and kind of talking about like obviously like important things that you can't see and that those themes yeah um but it talks a lot about the author um, and like people's interpretations of the book. Uh, they did talk to one woman who I, I appreciated this point. She's like, the Rose in the story is the only female character or mm-hmm. like female representing character. And she's very vain and self-obsessed and like yeah. proud. And like, so that is a little bit of a problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think too, like, it could just be taken like literally as like a metaphor for like, he is an aviator, so he's always, like, flying away and leaving her, mm. like, physically. Yeah. So that could represent, like, you know, having to leave and, like, there being, like, that issue there, the separation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just a lot of interesting, like, kind of speculation in regards to the flower, it, her role in the story, and also, like, what she may symbolize in the author's life. Yeah. And the little prince decides to go off and have some adventures Without the rose, he's doing just fine, thank you. He's doing him, okay? (laughs) So he goes to a series of planets. um, And I don't know how much we should talk in depth about each planet, because they're pretty brief encounters. But 
on six different little asteroid planets, he meets six different men who I think are just supposed to represent different ways that grownups are fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Different facets of like adult thinking and just like how absurd it is. And some of these are like, I really love. Some of them are really good. I mean, there's a king who like pretends he can rule over the stars essentially, but it's all like a delusion. Yeah. There's the conceited man who, you know, demands applause. Mm -hmm. Um, There is uh, the businessman. Yes. uh, Who, is he the embodiment, the pure essence? I think he is. Of... Uh, I don't even know what you're going to say, but I already agreed. <laughs> a vague businessman. Yes, vague businessman. It's our stereotype. For those of you who don't know, vague businessman is a character trope. He's a man who has a very important job. He needs to wear a suit He has for. accounts. He has accounts. The accounts are very important. Yes. But he you, has um, numbers that he needs to add up. Yeah. But you never know what he really does. Yes. To me, the businessman in this story is like the embodiment, the essence the distillation of vague businessman. I think he's also the distillation of like a lot of what's wrong with adults and yeah. that this book is talking about the fact that this man is so concerned with counting the stars, tallying them up, putting them in the bank, but he doesn't even look up to see them or appreciate them. And that idea that, you know, grownups are just going through the motions and doing things just for the sake of it yeah. because it feels like success and they're not taking the time to really appreciate what matters. It's also kind of a funny critique of like intellectual property. Yes. And the idea of like, well, I thought to own the stars, so they're mine. Yeah. And he, he makes the metaphor like, well, if you found a diamond on the ground, it would just be yours. And it's like, oh. Uh, not really, but okay. <laughs> and the kid's like, well, how do you own them? He's like, well, I write down on a slip of paper that I own them, and then I put that in a vault. Yes. And the kid's like, what? And it's This makes no sense. It's really absurd, but, like, really funny. And, like, that kind of embodies, like, all these characters. There's this, like, yeah. absurdist quality Absolutely. to, I think, like, all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lamplighter is one of my favorites, I think, that wasn't in the movie. Yes. He's a man who just, like... <laughs> Put like uh, lights and puts out a lamp as his small planet turns, but the planet's been turning faster and faster. (laughs) And so now like days only last like, what, 30 seconds? Yeah. (laughs) And I love it because in the dialogue, as he's talking, he'll keep saying good morning or good night. Yeah. And you know that he's like lighting or putting out the lamp, which (laughs) is just such a funny visual gag that comes out in the dialogue. I like that the little prince sort of appreciates this man's dedication to his job. Yeah. And that he finds purpose in it. But at the same time, I think this has gone too far and could represent people liking their job, but liking it too much and Mm. not not, um, allowing themselves to have anything else. I kind of see it as like when people have a job that's like kind of in a weird kind of corporate structure that like you don't even understand what your place is and kind yeah. of like everything. And it's like, what am I even doing here? I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's great. There's also a drunkard who does not appear in the movie. Shockingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, who drinks to forget that he's a drunkard. So. Yes. And then a um, geographer. Mm hmm who uh, has no explorers. No. Uh, which is is quite funny. Yeah, and I think this, too, is the embodiment of grown-ups who, you know, might read about things or have ideals about things but refuse to, like, experience them. Yeah, and it's also kind of a commentary on that, like, adults are only interested in the things that, like, quote-unquote last. Yes. Like, the kid is like, 
the little prince is like, oh, could you map where my rose is? And he's like, oh, a rose is ephemeral. Yes. Like, it's not going to be around forever, so I'm not going to bother. And just that idea that, like, if something is, um, you know. Who decides what matters? Exactly. And if something only has a brief time on Earth or in existence, that it's like, that that makes it lesser. Yes. But that is how we act most of the time. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Eventually, the little prince makes his way to the seventh planet, which is Earth. Um, and Earth is much bigger than all of the other planets that he's visited, and he has a lot of trouble finding people to talk to. Um, but he does find, eventually, a garden of roses. Yeah, and this is shocking to him because his rose told him that she was the only one that existed. Yeah. And so he suddenly feels, like, betrayed Mm -hmm. and, like, oh, she's just a common basic bitch of a rose (laughs) and I like invested all this time in her and I thought that she was special and really she wasn't and this kind of makes him sad and he's sort of down for a while but then he meets a new friend which is the fox and I have to say I think the fox is the most important character in this story yeah the fox has a lot of interesting things to say first of all uh when the little prince like wants to befriend the fox and the fox is like well first you'll have to tame me and and then it's funny because we get into kind of this absurd conversation where the fox is explaining to the little prince how to be how to tame him yes uh which i like yeah and i think what's interesting i want to read some portions from the book in this part because i feel like the fox has the most wisdom to um impart to the reader and also to the little prince Um, so the little prince doesn't understand what tamed means. And the fox says, it's something that's been too often neglected. It means to create ties. To create ties? That's right, the fox said. For me, you're only a little boy, just like a hundred thousand other little boys. And I have no need of you. And you have no need of me either. For you, I'm only a fox like a hundred thousand other foxes. But if you tame me, we'll need each other. You'll be the only boy in the world for me. I'll be the only fox in the world for you. Yeah. And I think this is really interesting, too, because I heard in that documentary that, like, the word taming, I don't know if it's, like, a bad translation from the original French, but, like, isn't completely accurate to it. And I do like, because, like, the fox explaining it, I think, makes it a little more apparent. It's not, it's not domination. It's not ownership. It's not ownership. It's kind of this mutual uh, connection, this bond that you form with someone. Yeah, maybe like cultivation would be a better term Mm. because it is like a growth, you know what I mean? Like something that you nurture. But yeah, I agree that the word tame in English um, mostly just has the bad like breaking a horse connotation, (laughs) which is sad to me. Yeah, or just like having a dog or a wild animal as a pet, like really taking something away from the animal. Yes. And the words, the Fox when explaining how to tame him, he's kind of like just exist in the same space as me. Yeah. And just invest in me. And I love this description. I'm going to read a little bit more. Um, when the Fox is telling him how they can, you know, he can be tamed and they can form this bond. So, um, the next day the little Prince returned. It would have been better to return at the same time, the fox said. For instance, if you come at four in the afternoon, I'll begin to be happy by three. The closer it gets to four, the happier I'll feel. By four, I'll be all excited and worried. I'll discover what it costs to be happy. But if you come at any old time, I'll never know when I should prepare my heart. There must be rights. 
Um, what's a right? asked the little prince. That's another thing that's been too often neglected, said the fox. It's the fact that one day is different from other days, one hour from the other hours. And I think this just is just an example of, you know, courtship, friendship, relationships where there's um, anticipation and excitement mm-hmm. and that feeling of like, I'm going to see that person soon and kind of like, Almost viewing that as like a necessity. The consistency, I think, and the reliability of like being there kind of when you're needed or expected and like how hard it is to form an attachment to someone who's kind of like in and out of your life or unreliable or like, I think we all have people in our lives who are like that, like whether we consider them friends or not based on that, but we know how frustrating that can be, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to conclude this section with the fox with more fox wisdom. And then I'll be done reading, I promise. <laughs> Hasht- hashtag fox But this wisdom. is like the essential message of the book, which is, here's my secret. It's quite simple. One sees clearly only with the heart. Anything else is invisible to the eyes. Um, and then he says, too, it's the time you spent on your rose that makes your rose so important. And I think that's so true with... You know, because the little prince realizes with this garden of roses that he's seen that it's the time, it's the love, it's the investment, it's the specialness that he's invested in the relationship with the rose and that the rose has given back to him that makes her so special. Um, Because, you know, there's so many people in the world, but like we have our special people and it's because of the bonds that we've created with them. Yeah. We have to choose kind of who in our life, you know, is deserving of affection and our love and like our time. And then, you know, when we found that person, like how important and significant, like those bonds you form with that person are, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's like any relationship, whether it's a marriage turning to divorce or whatever, but it's like, those bonds aren't like ever easily severed. No. Like, in fact, they can get twisted and turn into like anger or like, you know, frustration, but like there's still that in like intense connection you have with someone because in, of the investment. Yeah, in one way or the other. So, mm-hmm. th- this book just has like so many little nuggets of wisdom that you're just like wow and you like want to just think on for a little bit yeah and the whole thing being like everything that's essential is invisible and i think the core i mean in my opinion i'm sure there's a lot of takes because this book has been around so long on what it means but i feel like the core message is um how important love is Mm -hmm. to the world and to people um and relationships to each other whether they're romantic relationships or friendships that really tie us together and that is invisible you know it's not something yeah. we can own something we can put in the bank you know something yeah. that we can you know hang on our wall it's just something that is very precious and dear well and i think you know tying this to the idea of childhood versus adulthood like th- that's that message on the surface seems so simple and easy but when you think about getting older and I mean we're both in a time in our lives when we're like gonna be looking for a house soon and like investing more money and energy and into things and objects and like it's easy to see how that can kind of like consume so much of your attention yeah uh so I do think they say that this book is a children's book for adults yes and I think that is very uh you know apt very significant yeah and at this part in the story too 
you know, the aviator has spent so much time with the little prince. And in fact, the two of them are basically taming each other in forming this relationship together. And there's this very poignant scene where the two of them go looking for a well in the desert so yeah. that the aviator can, you know, get some water because he's dying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the little prince Just is like, casually. I'm fine. <laughs> And uh, so they discover, they they go searching and they discover this well. And it's kind of like more of a constructed well than the aviator was expecting, which surprises him. Mm -hmm. Um, But they talk and the little prince says something that I think is also very significant in this story. And he says, a desert is beautiful because of the well it contains. Mm -hmm. And the stars are beautiful because of a flower you can't see. Yes. And just this idea that like, even when things... When you know that they're there. And once again, this tying into the sheep in the box and mm-hmm. the, it's a sheep in a box. And the <laughs> and, elephant and in the, the elephant bow in the, Yeah. This idea of the things that like are there that you know are there, but like, I don't know. It's a very hard thing to even like put it into is. words. It is. It's almost like the, the mystery, I would say, mm-hmm. but also not mystery. And I think, you know... It is. It's so hard to describe, but it's just it's kind of like illustrated by the fact that like the aviator talks about how he lived in a house where there was a rumor that there was like a treasure somewhere. Yeah. In the house. And like no one ever found it. But like that just possibility um, made the house seem like more special and mysterious and like kind of cool. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Like it's funny, too, because the story frames all these adult characters on the different planets in this very absurd, nonsensical way. Yeah. But almost equally, it presents these deep philosophical ideas in an equally absurd, yes, hard to grasp concept. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, does they're more true than what like the adults on the planet believe, but like why or how? And it's kind of, I like that it's kind of presenting everything in a similar way. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of the world is a little absurd. Yeah. Even if it makes sense. Yeah. This is honestly, this book is probably the closest we'll ever get to talking about like poetry. Yes. On the podcast. Yeah. It is very much just kind of this like hard to put into words. Everyone gets something different from the story. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just very, very beautiful and interesting. I also like the part with the well because the prince says how... You know, the the aviator had to, like, really, like, work hard to get the water out from the well. Mm -hmm. Like, he had to, like, you know, crank it or, like, lift it or I don't know. He he does some stuff with the well (laughs) machinery. Um, And that the drink from the water was, like, so special. And it'll, like, live forever Mm. in his memory because there was so much attached to it. There was the walk together. There was, like, the pulling the water up from the well. And just that idea, too, that, like, effort... And taking the time to do something can make something more special. I think sometimes about like cooking a meal, you know what I mean? Like putting the time into like cooking, you know, putting all the ingredients together. And then when you sit down to eat it, you probably will have more appreciation for it than if it was just given to you. It makes me, it reminds me of something and I could be totally making this up at this point. I think (laughs) I remember it. But um, when I took an art history class in college, uh, I think my professor talked about this artist who used to um, like be strapped to either like a wall or the floor with like kind of a bungee cable <laughs> harness. And he'd have to like 
pull himself over to like a paper and pencil and draw something but like the effort and the force and like he could only draw something really shitty like quickly before he'd kind of be like pulled back away from it (laughs) but that idea that just looking at that drawing you'd be like well that's dumb and like that's so insignificant but like the context of knowing the effort that went into it yeah can completely change your understanding Mm -hmm. of and even if I am making this up, I think it's still a good metaphor. <laughs> if anyone knows what I'm talking about, please tell me. I don't know. Well, and I, I think, too, it's a way of expressing love as well. You know, like what means more if I bought you something or if I made something for you? Yeah, yeah, that that too. So many, so many things. So many takes. Let's talk about suicide. <laughs> <laughs> um... In a shocking turn of events, uh, around the time that the aviator has fixed his plane, he catches the little prince talking to a uh, snake in the desert. Yes. And they seem to be planning something. Yeah. And the the aviator, like, doesn't even, like, really stop to think about it. He just tries to, like, shoo the snake away, he tries to, like, get his gun out. Um, but he kind of can tell the little prince is planning something. and. Mm-hmm. And the little prince is talking vaguely about him returning to his home world. Yeah, but, but it's a long journey. His body's too heavy. Yeah, and we basically get the idea that somehow he cannot return to his planet unless he leaves his body behind. And that's definitely the way that this is portrayed, that he doesn't really view this as death, but as like a moving on, and so he can be reunited with his rose. Yeah, and in fact, the aviator describes, he's like holding the little prince at one point and describes him as like a shell. Yeah. Like he just feels like, like what's important to him is on the inside. And that, you know, so the little prince kind of, kind of reveals this plan that he's going out to the desert to meet the snake and leave Earth. And the aviator doesn't want to leave him. And so he kind of accompanies him partway and witnesses um, the boy, the snake appear in the desert briefly and bite the boy's ankle, and in a second, he kind of collapses yeah. and, and dies, it's essentially. Like, I mean, that's kind of the, the question, the big question at the end of this story is, like, is he dead? Is he back on his planet? Like, Yeah, and I think, too, that mystery is there where the man now, when he looks at the stars, he hears the little prince's laugh. And he knows that somewhere out there, the prince is there. Yeah, even if he can't see him. Yes. And again, that goes back to that mystery, that belief that seeing beyond what's there and believing that it's there. Um, so we're getting into like faith as well and hope. Yeah. And things that are very intangible, but you have to like believe in them. And that's why they're so important. Um, I think though... It's interesting to talk to about how the author died himself. Yeah, the author. um, So he, during World War II, um, got back into flying planes, even though he was pretty old at this point. Yeah, Um, kind of fucked up from all his crashes. Yeah, he had had some significant injuries from previous plane crashes, but like somehow convinced um, the military to let him fly planes again. And he was on a reconnaissance mission where he was supposed to take photos over a enemy base Mm -hmm. and he never returned. And I think they later found his plane in the Mediterranean sea. Yeah. And they found it like way kind of off course Mm -hmm. from where he was supposed to be. So, I mean, there is the possibility that he committed suicide. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing is for sure. And we'll probably never know. 
But I think it's interesting to talk about like when he was writing this book, he was living in North America and he was in exile basically from France because at this point in World War II, France had surrendered to Germany. Yeah. And I think some of this comes out a little bit in some of the like men on other planets caricatures of mm. like talking about the the government that was in place. I think it was called the Vichy government. I'm probably mispronouncing that. I'm so sorry. Um, which was like this phony government that was basically like just a German puppet. Okay. And just kind of the futility, I think, that a lot of people in France felt. And many of them left France like yeah. the author did. Yeah. For their own, you know, safety. But just that feeling of like, you know, the government surrendered, you know? Yeah. And like gave in and, you know, it was a survival move. But at the same time, like, how does he feel? You know, does he feel that like this world, like his country has let him down or that he can never return? And I totally understand him wanting to get back involved in the conflict to like do something to help, you know? Yeah, and I, I even read that, like, a lot of people interpret, like, the Baobabs yeah. as being a symbolism of, like, Nazism. Yeah. How, like, you kind of have to, like... How insidious they are. Yeah, you have to remove them or else, like, their growth can, like, destroy your home planet, your yeah. home homeland. Uh, I think we can all take that metaphor about fascism in general. Yeah, I think that uh, is still very relevant today. Uh, we have some very large Baobabs here in America. <laughs> <laughs> that are a little out of control. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, the the author, I, I, that's what I love about this story is that like there's the surface level just like story on its own. There's like the philosophical depth to the story. Yeah. Then you start looking at the author's life and how interesting he was and like the correlation of the story. And meanwhile, the whole thing is like an 80 page uh, children's book with illustrations and like, yeah. you know, it, it's so seemingly simple. Yeah. Very, uh, deceptively short, but very deep. Yeah. So I think that wraps up our portion of the book. Yeah. Should we get back to the movie? So around this time in the story, the little girl does return to the old man's house, uh, to find out the ending of the story, which as we've revealed is a huge bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when we watched it, I hadn't read the book yet. Yeah. And I was like kind of really confused. I'm like, wait, the the kid fucking died? Did he yeah. kill himself? <laughs> like I was like very it was like the girl's reaction that like confirmed it for me. Yeah. You were like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, but she's understandably upset. And the old man's trying to like explain he's saying he has to go to the little prince at some point. Like kind that's, of mirroring the little prince's arc at the end. Yeah, which is something I do really like about this adaptation, this story, is that like in the novel, um, the narrator, there's kind of this like unreliable narrator quality of like you don't know whether to believe that the little prince existed. Or, yeah. Or I guess you don't know whether to believe the little prince, what he's telling the aviator about other planets and yeah. all this other stuff. It's kind of like, okay, you're a weird kid, but, <laughs> um, and in this movie, like the old man is kind of the unreliable narrator. Yes. Like the story he's telling to the girl. Um, but she's super upset, even though he's trying to like, be like, no, it's fine. I'm fixing up my plane to meet him. Chill out. But she like runs away. Yeah. Um, but then sadly, uh, something happens to the old aviator and he has to be taken to the hospital. And the little girl kind of runs after him, but is unable to, like, 
figure out what has happened or if he's going to be okay. And so she's like devastated and is feeling like she's losing this person that means a lot to her right now. And their friendship is very important to her. And she doesn't want him to die. She doesn't want to lose their friendship. She doesn't want to lose the bond that they have together. Yeah. So she uh, sneaks out of her room in the night and goes over to the old man's house and discovers that the plane is fixed. And not only that, there's this crazy Rube Goldberg contraption <laughs> that once she's climbed in the cockpit. That will launch her into space. <laughs> <laughs> Given the old man's track record, I would not get in this ride of no, terror. But no. um, she does. She gets in. And around this time, the stuffed fox also becomes sentient. Yes, which I think is supposed to represent that this journey that she has is maybe like more metaphorical than like real. Yeah, we'll we'll get to there. <laughs> I have a lot of questions and things. The fox is alive, though, and helps her get into space um, because that's where the plane goes. Um, they go past the clouds, but the stars aren't there. But they see this like asteroid planet that's like basically like Metropolis on a planet. Yeah, kind of one of those tiny planets, but it's a city. And she thinks she sees the little prince on a roof. So she lands her plane in the city. Uh, and this is kind of like we get like this montage of characters we were introduced to uh, in the story. The Little Prince, there's the conceited man. Yes. Who is, interestingly enough, a police officer. <laughs> um, there is uh, the king who is like an elevator operator. Yeah. And so she's kind of like, it, it's a lot of like, oh, that guy and that guy and that guy. And, mm -hmm. and so she gets up to the roof and discovers not the little prince, but this just grown-ass man. Mr. Prince. Mr. Prince, she discovers. Voiced by... Um, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, which was really funny. There's actually a lot of big voice actors in this movie. Hmm. Jeff Bridges does the old man. Oh, yeah. Paul Rudd. Uh, Benicio Del Toro's in it. Uh, James Franco's the fox. Oh, okay. Yeah, a pretty big huh. um, American language ensemble. Yeah. Um, so she meets Mr. Prince, who has forgotten his identity as the little prince and is um, a maintenance worker trying to clean the roof of this like office building. A chimney sweep. Yes. Which is interesting because that kind of like mirrors the volcano cleaning, I think. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, and so but she's kind of trying to explain who he is. She's trying to explain like, oh, the aviator is in trouble i need you to he needs you he needs you yeah and and so eventually mr prince is like i have an idea i know someone who can help it's totally not a trap don't even think it's a trap i'm totally helping you and he takes her to uh a factory school torture chamber mm, yes <laughs> uh who it, it's run by who's like the head was it was it the same character that was like the head of the school Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Which is weird because he's like the only character. That wasn't in like the Little Prince Yeah, story. that's actually in her real life. Yeah. Um, But so she's about to be re-educated yeah. in quotes, in threatening quotes. <laughs> Chained to a desk. <laughs> um, before Mr. Prince has a change of heart and saves her. Mm -hmm. uh, so now they're kind of on the same side. And around this, he's like kind of beginning to remember some things and around this time, they discover all the stars from the sky in this huge globe. Yes. And it's run by Mr. Vague Businessman. Mr. Vague Businessman. <laughs> business yes. Um, who has finally acted on what he was trying to do the whole time, which was 
keep the stars to himself locked away. Um, and we find out that they're using the stars for uh, electricity mm-hmm. in this city uh, planet. And I think this is like, uh, again, another encapsulation of like that idea that only they talk about only what is like useful is important. Yeah, essential. The yes. non-essential must become essential. Exactly. Instead of like what the book says, which is um, what is essential is invisible. Yeah. And there's so at, at this point, let's kind of address some questions because there's a lot of questions I have and like watching this movie. I was kind of like waiting for some answers. I'm not quite sure whether like. First of all, what is this planet? Yeah. Is this the businessman's planet? Yeah. Why are the other people here? Why Why is the conceited man and the king here? Why are they just like schlubs? Yeah. And it also kind of bothered me too because like the joke and humor of the businessman was like, oh, he's owning the stars, you know, in quotes. It's yeah. kind of like he's delusional to an yes. extent. Yes, he can never actually do that. Yeah, but now this story is kind of like, oh, but what if he did own the stars and like literally captured them? Yeah, and it's also like, why did this happen? Was it because the little prince forgot who he was? Is that what threw this out of balance? And it kind of implies that, which is like confusing. Yeah. And like, why did the little prince even end up there? Like when he left Earth and like kind of died, you know, how did he end up here? And like, also, it's kind of like, you know, some of the magic of the ending of that book is like, you know, did he go to this planet? We don't know. Is there the sheep there? Is the sheep eating the flower? There's kind of this like Schrodinger's cat question at the end of the book where it's like this constant state of existing and non-existing, which is magical. But then the movie's like, no. This is what happened. Yeah, here, let me tell you what happened. I also want to say that this really, really reminded me of another story, this Mm. plot line right here, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, really? I don't remember enough about that. Well, um, we did an episode on it. Um, If anyone wants to listen, but um, just like the kids going to the planet that was controlled by Mm. like it, which was like very like corporate. Everyone has to be the same. It was very evil. It was trying to like brainwash people into like, you know, the all like the like the kids and the families that lived on that planet that were just like machines, basically. Yeah, yeah. And was trying to like suck the life out of everything, and then they had to like fight it. This just reminded me of like a knockoff, a wrinkle in time story. <laughs> yeah, and it also frustrated me too to an extent. I mean, first of all, like the design of the planet is so much like Earth, because like that aesthetic is established. Yeah. On Earth, like the industrial, business. yeah, the the drab, like gray industrial quality, like is very similar to Earth, which I'm sure is like probably intentional, but it just felt more of the same. This yeah. didn't feel worse. In fact, I was at one point, I'm like, wait, they're not on Earth, right? Yeah, it feels like that Earth. Yeah. Um, and also we're now seeing characters, and we'll see the little prince by the end of the movie. Everything from here on out is that 3D CGI. Yeah. And suddenly, like, and this embodies why the stop motion was so good. Like, the businessman is just, like, really lumpy, and he just has, like, a potato head. And, like, the designs are suddenly, like, very uninteresting to me. And that kind of is where the contrast of, like, the 3D, this is where it especially falls apart for me. Yeah. Even when things get hopeful at the end, it's still in that 3D animation. And I'm like, Uh. yeah, I'm like, that storybook animation was so gorgeous and, like, this feels like a shadow of that. Yes. So there's a lot of things going on at this point through my head 
uh, as we're watching this movie. Yeah, and the little prince and the girl end up freeing the stars, um, and they return to the little prince's asteroid um, to find that the Baobabs have taken over the planet Mm -hmm. and that the rose is dying. Um, But the prince is able to reunite with her, and as the sun rises on the planet... Um, they see the rose in the sun. And this is supposed to be, I think, a revelation for the little girl that, like, the ones that leave us don't really leave us, and they're always there, um, which is impactful, I think, especially in her journey to reconciling, like, possibly losing the old aviator. Yeah. Um, no answered questions about, like, is the little prince's planet, like, fucked? Because there's just, like, huge... oh, What's he going to do after this? Yeah. <laughs> The Baobabs have kind of taken over. I don't know. That just popped into my head now. Yeah. Um, Although when she leaves, something makes me think the planet is like empty again. Hmm. Although I don't think they establish how the Baobabs left. I don't don't know. Let's put a pin in it. Um, The little (laughs) girl leaves and the little prince is like, oh, goodbye. Tell the aviator I remember him and like blah, blah, blah. And so the little girl gets back home. Uh, We do get a brief glimpse when she escapes her room the drain pipe collapsed. Yes. And so we see the collapsed drain pipe drain pipe uh, outside. So she at least like in real life went over there, went that far. Yeah. But it's like unclear, like where did the metaphorical journey begin? (laughs) If it was metaphorical. Yes. Uh, But she tells the mom, like we have to get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. They go to the hospital. She visits the old aviator. He wakes up and he seems to be doing okay. And she gifts to him the bound copy of the pages that he's written, which is the pages of the little prince. And we get the book in the movie. It's very meta. She hands it to him. Uh It's the whole thing. Um, And then we're left kind of with her and her mom looking at the stars together and this idea that like things might be better between them and that they can maybe form uh, a different kind of life together. Yeah. um, The old man died, right? I don't think so. See, I couldn't. I don't know. I don't think he died. When they're what? looking up, why would he die? Well, I first of all, he's not in that final scene, which seems oh yeah, kind of. But he seemed fine in the hospital. He did. <laughs> but when they look up at the sky, you not only hear the little prince laugh, but the old man laugh too. Oh yeah, maybe he is dead. Wow. But it's very <laughs> unclear. I only I actually rewatched the last like third of this movie yesterday yeah. just to refresh my brain. I don't know why when we were watching it for uh, the first time, I like could not pay attention. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it was about huh. it, but like I kind of was just like zoned out a lot. Weird. Um, but so I wanted to rewatch it and like also confirm. I'm like, was the old man actually dead? <gasps> I still don't know. But you do hear him laugh with, okay, like, the little prince. that implies that he's dead. But you also never know what the fuck is wrong with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, he's just old. It's too open-ended in that regard. And also, I would have liked to have gotten some resolution, some more direct resolution with the mom. Yes. Because to me, that... A conversation, maybe. Yeah. That was, like, the most significant relationship in the story. Yeah, the one me. I cared about more. Yeah, more than her and the old man. So I would have liked some, like, reconciliation between them. Yes. I see this discussion bleeding into. <laughs> I'm not our, showing our my hand, am I? <laughs> on which one is better. Are there anything that you would like to add? Any last? Um, wh- what I'll say is that I feel bad talking kind of bluntly about the movie and yeah. all the ways it doesn't work in my mind because I know I've like read what the director 
who also like I think wrote the screenplay. I've heard him talk about it. He clearly has a lot of passion for the story. Um, they put a lot of time into it, obviously with the stop motion and everything. And I like the idea of this story, the way they tried to expand on it um, by showing like the aviator passing the story on its impact on the girl. Yeah. Um, like I think all the ideas are there, but ultimately in my head, like the movie's trying to do three things. It's trying to be a faithful little prince movie. Yeah. Um, by kind of telling that whole story. It's trying to be the story of a girl finding out about that book and yeah. how it impacts her life. And then it's also like a pseudo sequel. Yes. About what happens like after. after the book. I almost think that if the after part was a little different, I might have liked it a little more. I agree. Um the whole after part felt just kind of a little too much and weird for me. And I, I, I get the idea of wanting to revisit those characters, but I think they could have done it in a little bit of a different way, perhaps. Yeah, I think they tried to construct too much of like a plot. Yeah. Out of like the characters and the businessman and the stars and like that, like for me, like I get The Little Prince is a book is very ambiguous and vague and a lot of questions left unanswered but for some reason with this movie it felt like it was trying to do more of a plot yeah so those open-ended questions bothered me more in this film but on the other hand like i think it's a great movie in a lot of ways and i think it can introduce this story to a different a younger audience that might not have seen it before i think it's a well-made film and like i think it does stay true to a lot of what the book is about so I do enjoy it um and I thought it was good and I liked watching it but I think that the book is ultimately better and um there were some things that I had problems with in the movie so yeah it's just the book for me I think it's safe to say it's uh (laughs) it's book for me too and I kind of wish there was just like the stop motion like, I wish there was, like, a... Maybe there's a cut of it, like, online. Just, like, the Little Prince parts of oh, the yeah. movie. The it's stop motion. It's worth it just for that. Yeah, like, that part is so beautiful and, like, so interesting. And I get in the... I guess in the movie, like, when it cut to the Little Prince parts, like, it just kind of felt like it was, like, waxing philosophical for, yeah. like, five minutes. And then I was like, what was any of that? Yeah. Like, in, in the book, I think, like, you're more absorbed in it and it's more interesting. But in the movie, it kind of just felt... Um, disconnected, maybe. Um, so now that we've both decided that we like the book better, <laughs> let's hear Katie's thoughts, our patron who requested this. So Katie said, The Little Prince has been one of my favorite books for a long time. I first read it in high school French class, and it's stuck with me ever since. You're told when you go to read this book that it's a children's story meant for adults. I tend to agree, but it goes so far beyond that. It's a study of the author and his life, his relationships. It's a reflection of the time in which it was written, but still poignant today. Um, Let's see. I will fully admit that I've probably read and thought about this book more than a lot of people because I have also been teaching it since about 2013, and every year I end up covering new facets of the book or hearing a thought or opinion that I haven't before. Um, that's one of the neat things about introducing a story like this to someone new. You gain a new perspective. Um, so she talks about enjoying the movie. Um, they capture the pilot's fear of leaving childhood behind. Um, it's been a while since I sat down and really watched the movie, but I remember tearing up the first time I watched it. They hit the nail on the head without being overly literal in their interpretation of the story. 
Despite the movie being really enjoyable adaptation, I have to choose the book for my preferred option. I've been reading it since I was 16 and it only becomes more meaningful with time for me. Um, so we agree with you, Katie, and I'm sure you have so many more insights on this book. <laughs> you could just make your own podcast probably about the little prince yes. and keep going for a while. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, not only sharing your thoughts on this episode, but, uh, sharing your voice into helping us pronounce, uh, the author's name. Yes. And also you, she also provided, um, additional like reading content and info. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for all that, for suggesting this episode. And should we move on to lightning round? Let's do lightning round. So first up, there's so many little asides and like funny, uh, verses in this book that like we couldn't even get to, but I love so much. And, are just so funny and insightful. So one I wanted to read that really cracked me up was, um, grownups like numbers. When you tell them about a new friend, they never ask questions that really matter. They never ask, what does his voice sound like? What games does he like best? Does he collect butterflies? They ask, how old is he? How many brothers does he have? How much does he weigh? How much money does his father make? <laughs> Only then do they think they know him. If you tell grownups, I saw a beautiful red brick house with geraniums at the windows and doves on the roof, they won't be able to imagine such a house. You have to tell them, I saw a house worth 100,000 francs. <laughs> <laughs> they exclaim, what a pretty house. <laughs> it's just so funny. There's another line that's great where he talks about like grownups think they take up a lot more space than they actually do. Yes. Which is also good. So great, so, great commentary on adults. Yes. <laughs> um, next for lightning round. So for the movie, um, the director's son actually voiced all the little prince parts in like the stop motion animation portions. Um, and it originally was just kind of like a temporary thing. Um, but then they liked the quality of his voice so much that they decided to keep it. Yeah. He does have like a very childlike. I know. I like it. I do too. Uh, something else that was interesting is like the production of this film. It's the highest grossing French animated film of all time. Wow. And it was a French production, but the director it, w it was, like, made by an American director and, like, kind of originally made for English language. Yeah. Um, but it was the later French version of the film that was, like, most widely distributed. Wow. Like, to other countries besides, like, it being in their own language. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, subtitled for French. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this funny, interesting, like, the French version is kind of the main one even though it was made well i did notice too that like when the little girl is reading the pages mm -hmm. of the story it's in french is it oh yes. interesting i didn't mm -hmm. even catch that yeah oh nice so it is kind of like firmly establishing it in french yeah um next up for lightning round there's a portion in the book where the little prince meets two people from earth before he meets the aviator one of them is like a railway operator um, who is talking about how people are always coming and going and needing to be here and there, but not really appreciating the journey of it. And also a salesperson who is selling a pill that will make you not thirsty so you don't have to drink <laughs> any water. And as someone who drinks like probably so like three gallons of water a day, I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, would you like that or dislike it? Oh, my God. No. Water is so important to me. I need it very much. Uh, I actually just thought of another one that's a fun little uh, thing to mention, and that is uh, at the end of the movie, uh, when they're flying to the Little Prince's planet, they they didn't include uh, a few of the planet characters, like the drunk, yeah. the geographer, and the... Uh, 
the lamplighter, lamp but they do pass their planets. Okay. They pass a planet like covered in empty bottles, <laughs> the one with a lamp post. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the one with a desk, which I was like, oh, okay, I like that. That's mm-hmm. a, a clever little nod. Little nod, yeah. So I think that wraps up lightning round. Thank you for listening to this episode. This was a really fun one to do. Thank you again to Katie for suggesting it. And thank you for being a patron. Um, if you would like to support us, um, you can become a patron over on Patreon. Um, all our patrons get uh, the bonus episodes of our podcast. We just put out a bonus episode on uh, Do the Right Thing, which is um, a movie by Spike Lee, which is sort of like a follow-up to our Malcolm X um, episode that recently came out as well. Um, And patrons also get priority on episode suggestions, as um, you've probably noticed, because we've been doing a lot of patron requests, (laughs) which is awesome, and I love it. Yeah, me too. Uh, If uh, you are listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, leaving us a review, even if it's just a star rating, is uh, super helpful uh, just to the podcast growing and uh, being found more easily. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, uh, Cover to Credits Pod. You can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, email us at Cover to Credits Pod at gmail.com. Just like let us know, just like how's your day? Yeah. You know, what just, you're reading. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, you know, what you think of the episode. If you have suggestions for other episodes or thoughts on other episodes, like we honestly love just hearing from listeners like about anything so yeah uh yeah don't hesitate to drop us a line Mm -hmm. thank you again for listening and for just being there yeah and we'll see you next time see you next time Bye. bye